You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. People are beginning to wake up to the downside of the tech world. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. We need to find ways to share this wealth so that people aren't suffering on the streets. You're giving your time to help others, and in the process, it helps you as well. The more people who see what happens over in the courthouse and know what's really going on, people would really be horrified. This is KCBS In-Depth. One after another, in the last few days, we've seen a series of closures, cancellations, even an emergency declaration. So for many, this past week is when the coronavirus finally went from just another story on the news to a fact of life. I think that over the last five days, the uptick in cases, that is a tipping point for us. We're going to recess schools for all students pre-K through 12 effective Monday, March 16th. It's been absolutely devastating. I mean, we have restaurants whose reservations have gone down 50%. We're literally at risk not knowing, you know, like where we're around. Definitely, it's, it's scary. I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In-Depth. And today in the program, thinking through the tough decisions of an outbreak. And there were a lot of tough decisions this past week, shutting down schools, sending workers home, all these very disruptive steps to take. And unfortunately, with the coronavirus still spreading, there's going to be a lot more tough calls in the days ahead as well. So to help us think through why these decisions are being made and where we might be headed next, we're going to welcome onto the program now two health experts. First up, we're going to say hello to Dr. John Schwartzberg, Emeritus Professor of Public Health at UC Berkeley's Division of Infectious Diseases. Dr. Schwartzberg, thanks for being on KCBS In-Depth. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Also going to welcome on now Dr. Jeffrey Klausner, Professor of Medicine and Public Health at UCLA. Welcome to you as well, Dr. Klausner. Very happy to be with you. All right. So it really was a whirlwind week of coronavirus news, but let's start on Monday with the first major shock to the system that came in the form of an announcement from Santa Clara County following its first known death from the disease. I have issued a legal order banning events with more than a 1,000 people in attendance. Santa Clara County Public Health Officer Dr. Sarah Cody. Because our emerging data tells us that we have more extensive community spread than was apparent to us even five days ago, we must take more actions to slow the spread of disease and to protect the public. And just like that, the county's first legal order banning large gatherings was in place. But it was soon followed by others, including in San Mateo County and in San Francisco. This is an evolving situation, and every opportunity we have to make changes that are going to protect public health, we will uh, do exactly that. So, Dr. John Schwartzberg, again with UC Berkeley, let's start with you. We've heard this week described as a tipping point. Why was this week a tipping point for coronavirus? Well, I don't know that it was a tipping point from the perspective of the epidemiology of disease. I think it's more a tipping point for the psychology of the public. Finally, the public is realizing what uh, people in public health have been recognizing for a good while, and that is we're facing a very formidable virus that's spreading very rapidly throughout, throughout the world and certainly throughout our society. 
and Dr. Jeffrey Klausner again with UCLA. What would you add to that picture? You're bringing us the full California picture, bringing us down to SoCal. What do you think that we are, the public is learning about this disease this week now that there's so much more news and so many more public steps being taken? All right. Well, with the increase in uh, news and attention to the spread of the virus, we really entered into the uh, first phase of what I call the three phases of a response, which is the awareness level. So there's uh, been very heightened awareness about the uh, problem or potential problem of the of the of the coronavirus, and then that you know leads us into the second phase, which is about personal behavior change. So people um, now are recognizing the need to you know avoid sick people if they're sick themselves, not to go in to work or go to school, to uh, wash their hands more, and to take personal actions to uh, protect their own health and protect the health of others. Mm. So a lot of more public recognition coming in right now. Also a lot of steps being taken. And I think the theme of this show is going to be tough calls, difficult decisions made. Let's take on another example of a difficult decision that was made this past week. That is the closing down of a number of athletic events, the NBA suspended games, Major League Baseball suspended games, a lot of other suspended games as well. Obviously, this is a huge disappointment for the fans, but it's also economically devastating for the businesses who rely on these games to generate both foot traffic and revenue. So that was a fact acknowledged by Warriors general manager Bob Myers on the shutdown announcement. He says the team members will cope. They're professionals. They're human beings. We'll be okay. We feel for the workers, mostly the low-income wage earners that count on working our games. I think if you're going to... have empathy, have it for them, not for us. So obviously a huge economic blow here, huge disruptions. That's the other side of the coin when we talk about cancellations. Uh, Dr. Schwartzberg, walk us through what it's hoped these cancellations will achieve. Why are these necessary despite these huge disruptions? Sure. If I was a virus and my goal in life was to produce more viruses, what better situation could I find than to take thousands of people put them together in a relatively closed environment for several hours. That would be ideal from my perspective to infect a lot of people very quickly. That's the whole idea behind closing down these games. I have felt actually very strongly for a while, several weeks, that the Warriors should have done that. Um, The San Jose Sharks um, did that in spite of Santa Clara Valley Public Health asking them not to hold the game, and they went ahead and did that. Um, So I'm delighted to see this finally happening. But you're perfectly correct in saying that there's a flip side to this, and there's going to be a lot of suffering by people in terms of economic suffering when these kinds of decisions are made. But think about the suffering that will occur if we don't make these decisions. And Dr. Klausner, we've been hearing a lot about this notion of an infection curve and why we want to tamp down this curve. Explain to our listeners who aren't familiar with that concept what we're talking about there and why shutting down large events might help. Well, the idea is that the uh, speed of the increase of an epidemic can overwhelm the health system. So the faster uh, new cases um, enter into occur in the community. The faster there's more sick people, uh, the higher number of sick people in a short amount of time, that's going to overwhelm the health system. So the idea is to 
kind of spread out those new cases over time. So maybe not change the overall number. If there's going to be, you know, 100 or 1,000 cases, let's not have those 100,000 cases over a few days, but let's have those 100 or 1,000 cases or a, uh, over a few weeks. So our experience with these uh, large event closures really stems from influenza, and there's actually quite a lot of debate among epidemiologists whether coronavirus um, is as infectious as influenza and whether these kinds of um, shutdowns will have the intended effect. So it's, you know, hopeful and, you know, we'll have to uh, see, but, you know, people didn't feel like it was judicious not to uh, close down these events, um, you know, even in situations where we're not certain what the extent of disease will be. That is an interesting point. Dr. Uh, Schwartzberg, I wonder if you could take that on as well. At this point, is it still a little bit unclear how much these closures will will help just because the science of how this virus spreads is still a little bit murky? Sure, of course. Um, this this is, to an extent, an experiment on a grander scale. Um, the grandest experiment with this virus, of course, was in China and the draconian measures that they instituted around the Hubei province. Um, but it's not based upon just a guess that it's going to help. It's based upon uh, a lot of modeling and a lot of previous data. And um, there's no guarantee this will help, but there's strong suggestion from previous precedent as well as our understanding of epidemiology that it should. Mm. All right. want to remind any listeners who might just be joining us that they are listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today, a look at the tough choices the Bay Area is making to limit the spread of coronavirus. Joining us for the program, we have on now Dr. John Schwartzberg, Emeritus Professor of Public Health at UC Berkeley, and Dr. Jeffrey Klausner, Professor of Medicine and Public Health at UCLA. And it's a little bit difficult to get into this next question because we are always writing this line uh, between wanting to get the information out to the public and not wanting to be too alarmist. But I think when we talk about these major life disruptions and why they're needed, I think then it is warranted to explain what are some of the scenarios that we have in mind when we are considering why this is worth doing. So let's talk about maybe not the worst case scenario, but some of the scenarios that are out there that may warrant such a large response. We're hearing numbers this week that suggest maybe in the next year and a half, we could see 40 to 70% of the American population infected with coronavirus. And that could potentially lead to a lot of deaths. Uh, Dr. John Schwartzberg, uh, getting you back on right now, paint that picture for us. What does that look like if this virus really does become that widespread? Well, the modeling that you're talking about is is modeling, and it's based. The models are based upon um, the data that we have, and the data that we have is is uh, not very good at this moment in time in the United States, um, and that's. I think a real tragedy and a, and a terrible uh, blot on this country. Um, we should have been testing six weeks ago, and then our modeling would be much more accurate, and then we could say how accurate this prediction is. Um, this prediction sounds pretty ominous, and it, it's based upon a model that's based upon inadequate data. So we need to pay attention to it. We need to recognize it, and we need to assume that that could happen and act on that. But I also don't think we need to um, panic about what this suggests. Mm. So 
when we hear those scary numbers about the death toll that this could have, it sounds like you're saying right now it's still too early to take any of those predictions too seriously? No, it's important that we we pay attention to those predictions and do act on them in ways, in reasonable ways that can help blunt this infection, just like Dr. Klausner was saying. But the flip side of that is people have to recognize that these are predictions and there are lots of other ways to predict this based upon as we refine our data. So not to panic about and about this and think that this is absolutely going to happen. Dr. Klausner, what would you want to add to that picture that we have in terms of long-term forecasting, where this might go, and what that should tell us about what we should be doing right now? Well, at least in the United States, what we're seeing are very highly localized outbreaks in very specific geographic areas, uh, mostly in the north. And um, it's actually quite fascinating that uh, most of the outbreaks, or all the outbreaks, have occurred in uh, kind of specific temperature community bands where it's been kind of on the cooler side in the 40s or low 50s with kind of uh, moderate humidity. And um, that seems to be one driver of where the epidemics are located. And we also see that the epidemics are not really becoming generalized like influenza. So they're staying currently relatively contained among, you know, nursing home um, patients, their contacts, uh, workers, maybe family members, but it's currently in the United States, there doesn't seem to be any generalized um, transmission. That, of course, you know, could change, but right now we're seeing, okay, first in this part of the country, then here, and then there, and actually nothing in the southern states yet. And so that suggests to you that the spread may be uh, more limited in the United States than uh, some of this modeling would suggest? Yeah, to me. I mean, you know, what I see in Italy currently, you know, it's predominantly northern Italy. South Korea cases went up. They went down. They didn't really become generalized in the country. China obviously had unprecedented public health interventions and uh, control efforts, um, but it did not become generalized throughout the country, which is a very different epidemic behavior than what we see with influenza. Influenza, we have a large proportion of the population, 20, 30, 40, 50 percent of people get infected across entire countries. And um, generally, our past experience with other kind of coronaviruses Um, They haven't spread as easily as this one, but they've been highly localized. If there are still so many questions about how it's going to spread and how widely it's going to spread, what what does that tell us about the decisions we're making right now? Well, I think it's not a one-size-fits-all decision, and every epidemic is local. There's my professor, uh, Warren Winkelstein at uh, UC Berkeley, who uh, used to say that, and every local epidemic requires, you know, a unique response based on that transmission pattern and uh, what the different factors are that's driving transmission in that in that local population. So um, I think, you know, currently we're kind of addressing this 100% uh, across the country with major closures, school closures, and, um, you know, I'm just uncertain of, of the benefit of this general approach at this time. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Schwartzberg, what would be your response to that? I mean, some people would suggest that when you don't know how bad it's going to be, you should respond as though it would be the worst case scenario just to mitigate that. What's your view? 
Well, you have to temper that idea with what's realistic because any action is going to have a reaction. You were mentioning that with the warriors in terms of the people with the lower income uh, jobs with that organization are really being punished. So you, these have to be thoughtful decisions and they, they can't be blanket decisions. Um, what we really need is we need to understand better the epidemiology of this disease. Um, and this gets back again to the testing issue. Once we really understand where this is happening uh, and how extensive it's happening, it'll, it'll dictate to us where we, can, where we should be marshalling our forces. But without that knowledge, we're, we're not flying blind by any matter, but we're really, um, we've got one eye closed when we're doing it. Um, so I think hopefully we're gonna have a lot more PCR testing for the, for the RNA. I'm, I'm really hoping we'll also get some antibody studies done so that we can understand who's been infected and, and, um, and has resolved their infection so we know how extensive it is in our society. Mm. All right. You raise a, a bunch of interesting issues right there, especially in terms of uh, the testing that we want to pursue. Let's dig into that more in just one second. First, I want to remind our listeners one last time that they are listening to KCBS In Depth. I am Keith Manconi, and today we're discussing how much we should be doing to stop the spread of coronavirus here in the Bay Area. We're getting the view from Dr. John Schwartzberg, Emeritus Professor of Public Health at UC Berkeley, as well as Dr. Jeffrey Klausner, Professor of Medicine and Public Health at UCLA. So we're talking about testings right now. That was a subject of much discussions among Bay Area leaders this week as well. Uh, among them, San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo. He raised the concerns earlier this week to me and other reporters during an interview. What we're seeing in parts of the world that have been successful in mitigating the spread of this disease is that they're testing thousands of people a day. He also suggested the federal government could have done more to help the Bay Area prepare. So far, the CDC has not provided uh, sufficient resources uh, in the form of uh, tests that can be scaled and labs that can actually do the testing uh, to be able to enable local jurisdictions to really address this crisis the way it needs to be addressed. So turning back to you, uh, Dr. Schwartzberg with UC Berkeley, why has it been so difficult to get enough tests out so that we can really ramp up how many tests we're doing. Because as Mayor Licardo suggested, while other countries have been doing thousands upon thousands of these tests, we've been stuck in the hundreds and, you know, only only a little bit more than a thousand or so. So why has this been taking place? It's been a, um, and I really hate to say this, but it's been a failure of the FDA and the CDC and the um, executive branch of our government. Um, the technology that we're using, PCR testing, is a 35-year-old technology. Everybody, every, everybody knows how to do this technology. Every university is doing it in multiple laboratories. This was not a difficult thing to do. Um, the Chinese isolated the entire genome of the virus very quickly and made it available to the world. The Germans developed um, a PCR test that the WHO used uh, and disseminated throughout the world and that many other countries were using. The CDC and the FDA made the decision that they were going to develop the their own test, not use, use what uh, the World Health Organization was using. They developed a test that was um, in around the middle of February that was disseminated to public health laboratories around the country, and a great number of those were defective tests, and they had to recall them um, for reasons that are that I don't understand, um, 
it took over three and a half weeks to fix the problem that they had. And it's just um, dumbfounding why it took so long. And then they finally sent them out, but in inadequate numbers. So that's the story. Um, I wasn't privy to any of the discussions in the FDA or the CDC, but I can only uh, judge from looking at what happened is that there was an element of bad communication between the executive branch and those two parts of, and those two um, organizations, the FDA and the CDC, uh, that there was uh, in, uh, in the bureaucracy uh, a resistance to change from the procedures that they've always done. And there was some degree of hubris on the part of the uh, CDC and the FDA that we can do it better than everybody else. And so we will get a fuller picture, I imagine, of just exactly how those decisions were made and uh, how we got where we are at this moment with not enough tests. Dr. Klausner, what, in your view, then, is the consequence of that? We've been hearing a little bit from both of you so far about the lack of data and how that has really hamstrung our ability to figure out where this is headed. Is that the major consequence of not having enough tests, that we just don't really know what we're headed for right now, or is there more to it? Sure. Well, there's several consequences. Certainly, the first consequences, we don't have a good grasp on the uh, epidemiology of infection in these, you know, outbreak uh, areas. Uh, we don't really understand the uh, spread or the frequency of spread or the risk of, um, you know, uh, contact um, by family members or by um, healthcare workers or by, um, uh, you know, other workers in nursing homes, uh, etc. And it's also, secondly, uh, impairs our ability to do tried and true uh, public health interventions of, um, of isolation of cases and uh, contact tracing. So um, in infectious disease uh, epidemics like this, the standard practice is to uh, find cases, uh, remove them um, through isolation or home isolation uh, from the community so they don't transmit further to identify contacts and um, test those contacts. So that, that, that strategy just has not been um, available to us. I, I suppose the final question that I want to put to both of you is, given all the uncertainty and given what is still not known, what should we be thinking about when we weigh this cost-benefit for all the many other decisions that are going to be ahead of us? How, uh, how much should we weight the potential for major health consequences throughout, the, throughout America over the next year versus uh, the economic downside that we have to weigh as well? Uh, Dr. Schwartzberg, what should we be thinking about there? At this point in time, while we have to consider the financial implication of our decisions, um, we have a, a window of opportunity of blunting this curve, as we discussed before. And I think that that, in most cases, is going to have to take precedence over other decisions, including the dollar cost to society. But these are not binary decisions. It's not like we either do this or don't do this. There may be ways to implement it that will be less uh, painful financially on people. And of course, government needs to play a role in um, in helping the people that are being most hurt by this. Uh, Dr. Klausner, what would you add to that? Uh, what would you hope that the major decision makers, whether we're talking about somebody who's running a city or somebody who's just deciding whether or not they should go into work or go visit their elderly grandparents, what sorts of facts would you hope that they keep in their mind when weighing these decisions? Yeah, well, I think the policy levels at the government level need to, you know, be very transparent about the, you know, costs and the 
potential benefits and, uh, you know, remind people that the benefits are uncertain, but the, you know, costs are certainly real and also have uh, a measured response and, you know, keep uh, ongoing monitoring and reevaluating that response. So with school closures, you know, because spring break is coming up, um, you know, it's kind of easier decision right now to close schools uh, for a period take the opportunity of spring break to keep schools closed and then after uh, spring break occurs to reassess. So it's, it's got to be a continuous effort of monitoring, um, evaluating, looking at the data on an ongoing basis and have better transparency with the data. Unfortunately, many counties now have taken the daily case counts off their websites. Uh, the state of California does not share daily case counts with uh, the public and uh, we need as epidemiologists and um, as members of the community we need access to uh, data and uh, transparency in the uh, in, in this epidemic in particular is there a chance i mean you we, we have been focusing a lot on the negative consequences of some of these closures but is there a chance that we underreact here that because we're worried about all these various downsides that we don't do enough to stop the spread in the coming weeks you know i think based on the uh information we have uh whether we're doing enough or more than enough i think uh you know we're not a appreciating, you know, some of the other factors that are actually uh, tailwinds. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about is population immunity. So as people uh, recover from infection, they're immune to repeat infection. And they actually become like a human barrier to the continuation of spread of these kinds of epidemics. And naturally, that's how epidemics come and go. As a population becomes immune, there's no more people to infect. We also have the weather uh, uh, becoming more favorable as it becomes warmer and more humid. That makes this particular virus uh, less efficient in terms of uh, transmission. Mm. And a closing thought from you, Dr. Schwartzberg. Uh, you know, I, I do hear a lot of folks out there that still honestly are not taking it that seriously. I've been talking to a lot of average residents. What would you say to those folks that are still feeling like business as usual can just keep going on? Well, it's not business as usual. Um, and that's apparent to, uh, I think, everybody. And the people who are just going on with daily life and not paying attention to it, that's, an, that's one of the qualities that human beings have, and it's called denial. Um, the problem is that it's not just personal denial, but it's also a selfish denial because um, more people get sick, the more people are going to spread this. One person is going to spread it to around three, three one person infected is going to spread it to three people. So I think that we all have to hitch in together um, to not get infected um, and to do the things that are necessary to keep society running as functionally as possible and to take care of the people who are, who are receiving the most pain from this uh, from a financial standpoint. On the flip side, we have the technology, we have the education and the brain power to deal very effectively with this. And we can do it, but we have to act. All right. And we will let that be the closing point, something to think on as we continue into 
really uncharted territory for this region and the country. We've been speaking today on KCBS In-Depth to Dr. John Schwartzberg, Emeritus Professor of Public Health at UC Berkeley, who we just heard from a second ago. Dr. John Schwartzberg, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Been speaking as well to Dr. Jeffrey Klausner, Professor of Medicine and Public Health at UCLA. Dr. Klausner, thank you as well. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Be well, everyone. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.